0: And I like those better anyway. However, <laughs> why, why, do, why do we know that? Because that's the culture that that comment is being made in. Come over for pierogies. Now, I know I had a customer of mine. They were from Winnipeg, and she would bring, you know, different pierogies and stuff. You know, I always thought pierogies were cottage cheese or maybe potatoes. But there was sauerkraut and who knows what all else they had. They put it into progies. And I never knew that till then because that was so foreign to my culture. When the Bible tells us to praise, guess what? It's coming out of that culture where this is what it is. It means to shout, to dance, to laugh. Strong instruments, high sounding cymbals, all sorts of stuff. We need to do it I believe that it's scriptural so this morning I just wanted to say you know if you're in a place where you say well, all this seems so silly then ask God to touch your heart and say God show me what I've missed here show me what I've missed if you're going well this is all total ridiculousness," ask God if you even know him See, heaven is loud. You know, we have this, you know, little fat babies in diapers floating around on clouds, strumming harps. That's not heaven. It says when they're praising in heaven, it says it's like the sound of many waters, the mighty rush. It's loud. Go to the Niagara Falls and listen to that water rush over there and then times it however many... T- Now you've got a concept of what heaven is going to be like. So you have angels or cherubims that are flying around the throne day in and day out going holy, holy, holy. And I always thought like, do they need language skills? You know you've got one word? But what's happening is they're flying around the throne every time they see a new aspect of God and they're crying out holy and then they see holy and then they're holy. Because they're still, after thousands of years, however long they've already been there, discovering all this new stuff about God. But we discover that new stuff about God as we come into his presence and find out who God is. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about knowing God. See, one of the keys that I feel we're going to need to focus on as we come to the end of this year of contending is the need to maintain that intimate relationship with God. We're going to have to, because all of this has to flow out of relationship. If there's no relationship, oh yeah, we're hollering and screaming and dancing, but you could be at any concert. Mm-hmm. You know, years ago we went to, um, oh, I don't even know who it was. Was it Simon and Garfunkel? No, they're, gone. they're dead by then. Huh? Was it one of them, was it? Was it Simon or Garfunkel that we went to here? And we went to this concert in Winnipeg and the place was all packed out and the whole stadium. And I happened to recognize a bunch of people from Winkler. People that I know are fairly st- staid. Except, you know, as they were singing, all of they come up with this one song and they're all up and clapping their hands and they're like, and I'm going like, and how come you're not doing that in church on Sunday morning? Stamping their feet. And I thought, like, sure, you know, we can do this. We can go to a Blue Bombers game and we can shout and scream and dance and bang on the boards. And, and yet in church, it's like, yeah. why? Because we don't know God yet. See, when we know God, we would recognize that God was so much more than any sports team, that he was so much more than any musician, that he was so much more that it would cause a response from us to say, I have to. See, we know about God often. To know him. See, a lot of people will struggle with the thought of an almighty God wanting to have a relationship with us, but it's a prerequisite to walking in his power. Like, why would God want to meet me? Why would God want to talk to me? What would God want to do? You know, it's sort of the same way that a lot of people act when they, <coughs> when they meet someone that's really become a success in life or has become very wealthy or very highly trained. And, and they meet these people and say, well, what would I ever talk to them about? What would they ever say to me? What would I ever say to them? Why would they want to talk to me? I've never been trained in any of this. But you know, you've got the Spirit of God in you. You're more trained than they are learn to listen to them. People are intimidated because they see themselves as being so much less than that one. That one that is so much more knowledgeable, so much wealthier, so much more whatever. They draw back because they cannot understand why someone like that would want to get to know them. They become unworthy in their own eyes, sort of like the uh, spies when they went into the promised land. They came grasshoppers in their sight and in ours. These guys are so much bigger, like we have nothing to offer here. No, if the Spirit of God is in you, you have more to offer than all of them together. But sometimes it's going to mean standing up and holding your place. I can remember at one time when I was called in to speak to a school teacher. We had a difference of opinion and he tried the worst thing he could ever have tried on me. certain triggers I have that will set me off instantly. One of them is when somebody tries to intimidate me. Not a good move. Not if you are five foot eight and 150 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> to stand behind your desk and slam your hands down and say, "Now, Mr. Bueller) <laughs> caused me at six foot two with my two-inch heels and my hydro parker to stand up and lean forward and say, yes, mister. (laughs) He sat down. I sat down. We finished our talk. The principal came in. He agreed with me. Things got changed. Now, I could have given up. See, a lot of people do when you get intimidated. You want to give up. Why do you think Satan uses intimidation? Oh, well, what could you know? What could you say? What would you have to offer? What would you add? What would you... And that's what happens to people. We end up stopping. But it's that same type of intimidation when we come before God because we know better than anybody else what we've all got messed up in our lives still. So now to come to God and say, Hey, God, (laughs) Why would he want to talk to me? What do I have to say? You know, I'm nothing. I'm just this. I'm just that. I keep messing up. Blah, 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 blah. And we can make all these excuses and, and Satan will use those things to try to keep us out of God's presence when the place that we need to run to is the presence of the Lord and say, let's spend some time getting to know him here. But they draw back because we cannot understand why someone like a holy God would want to get to know us. People become unworthy in their own eyes, and sadly, we allow that same attitude to affect our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We know our shortcomings. Why would God fellowship with me? It doesn't matter why. Just know that He does. If we forget that our holy God gave His Son, Jesus... We do not approach God clothed in our own works. We approach God dressed in the righteousness of God, which means that the very same righteousness that God has is the righteousness that he gives to anybody that calls upon his name. So we come before him dressed in his own clothing, dressed in his own righteousness. So if we want to know God the way he really is, we're going to have to come into a relationship with him, and the way to do that is to come into a relationship with Jesus, Looking at Jesus allows us to see that God is not angry. God is not waiting to punish us like he did in the people of the Old Testament. He gave them a law that he knew that they could not handle. When they broke the law, they got punished. Except he says you can't keep this law. In the New Testament, that's been done away with. When he sent his son, the power of the law was broken and we start living under something called grace. And grace says that you can come boldly to my very throne. You can make your requests known. The law said if you do the right thing, if you bring enough animal sacrifices, if you do this, and if you don't do that, and if you live like this, and if you don't live like that, and if you stop this, and you start this, and if you do this, and on and on and on and on. If you do enough of this stuff, then maybe you're going to be good enough that God will overlook your sins and listen to you. He never said he would forgive them. He just said, I'll overlook them. But in the New Testament, he says we don't have to overlook them anymore. In the New Testament, God says when you come to me, the blood of Jesus Christ wipes out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against you. In fact, it says he took those same things that you had against you and he nailed them to the cross in his own body. So when we come before God now, we're not coming trying to hope that we're righteous enough. We are coming saying, Father, you made me righteous with your own righteousness, so I have every right to be here. How do we get to know that? Because we see what Jesus did in the Bible. Jesus never, when he was walking upon this earth, he did not have to sit there and beg and plead and say, oh, Father, please let me into your presence. Jesus had never sinned. He didn't know what sin was. Well, he knew what it was, but he knew he had never committed any. He came boldly to the Father, and he asked for what he wanted. He received help in time of need. When we get to know Jesus, we see God. We get to see him as a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of healing. See, nobody came to Jesus and, Lord, help me, and Jesus said, oh, sorry, I'm too busy. Anybody that approached Jesus, he, they got what they came for. If they were sick, then they came to Jesus and said, Lord, heal me. And he said, be healed. Or woman, thy faith has made thee whole. Or go, or you know, wash the mud out of your eyes and you'll be able to see again. Or whatever it took. But anybody that came to him in faith, he healed. He never said, nope, you're the one I can't heal, you're too bad. They lowered the lame man before Jesus as he was in the house preaching. They broke the roof open, they lowered him down, and Jesus said, Son, your sins be forgiven you. And now they're all upset, the teachers of the law, because how can this man forgive sins? And he says, Okay, what's easier? Your sins are forgiven, or get out of the bed and walk? Which is easier? See, he came to Jesus, and if it was sin that was keeping him in that place, the first thing he did, but it says that man jumped off the bed, he rolled it up, and he took off. There was no such thing, well, let's go have confession first. Tell me what you've all done wrong, and once you've taught me, oh, you know, then we'll explain to you how horrible that all was. Then we're going to tell you what you're going to have to do to be a good person. And then there was a man that was laying at the temple for 40 years and Peter and John walk in and the, the first thing, you know, he says oh, he's begging for money. He wants something to eat. He wants whatever. He wants money. And Peter looks at him and says, you know, I don't have gold. <laughs> well, first he says, look at me. You. What? He's expecting money. Peter says, I got no money, <laughs> but I'll give you what I got. Are you a Jewish person? Which tribe did you come from? Have you been living properly and appropriately? Have you been doing the following the law? Have you? No, wasn't there. Look at me. And expecting to receive something, he looks up. Silver and gold have I none. I got no money, I'm broke. But I got so much more than money. I can't give you coinage here. I can't buy you your next meal. But I can bring you something that is going to be worth more than anything that all of these guys could give you. All put together in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand and the man jumped up and immediately his ankle bones received strength. And walking and leaping and praising God, he goes into the temple. Now you would think everybody would be happy, right? One guy off the welfare roll. The priests were not happy. Is this your son? How come he's walking now? Well, we don't know. Go ask him. He's old enough to talk for himself. Why were they not happy? Because he had laid there for 40 years and they had never been able to do anything. And now, through the name of Jesus, now somebody that knew the power of the Almighty lifted him up by the hand and said, Walk. And he did. We see his love. The Bible teaches us that God was perfectly revealed through the nature of Jesus Christ. But it is only when we see God as he is that we are capable of showing him to the people we meet. You'll never show God to somebody if you don't know who he is. You'll come across legalistic, condemnatory, mental. And what you'll do is try and push them back into religion. Well, as a Christian, you should be stopping this. As a Christian, you've got to start this. As a Christian, this is where you should be. And you're going to focus them on the outside of the picture, and they're going to end up missing Jesus, who's in the center. What do we do? You're a Christian. You have the Spirit of God in you. You start listening to and you tell me what God is telling you. What is God telling you to do? In this situation. Because when God is telling them to do something. Guess what? They can never turn around and say. Well, you said. I said you should listen to God. Mm -hmm. Is God Mm -hmm. drugs? Where does he tell you that? Yeah show me a scripture reference. If you can show me that God is telling you this. God telling you to operate in rebellion. Show me where. God is saying it's okay for you to go out and mess around? Where? And if you're going to try and tell me that you have a revelation beyond the word of God, I'm going to tell you you're full of it. You need to get your life back in order. Because the spirit of God will never lead you against what the word of God says. Why? How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the word and it also says that the Holy Spirit will always bring us back to Jesus. That's his job. So we see Jesus in the Word, we see God in the Word, we see God when we see Jesus. So knowing God, or God desires to give us the forgiveness. Every good thing that we could ever need, He wants to give, but in order for us to receive those things, we have to know Him as He is. So we're going to have to believe that God is willing to be known of us. We're going to have to believe that when he made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, he did it so that we can have a time of fellowship with him. We also have to believe that God is willing to be known and that did by his son. Knowing God through a personal relationship with him is completely different than knowing about God. A lot of people know about God. There's people that can argue, point, theologians, which is the study of God. But there's people that have studied all about God and they have never yet met him. They could tell you about this, they could tell you about that, but they could never tell you him because they haven't met him. So it becomes head knowledge only. So knowing God through the personal relationship means you move past just knowing about Him. And it goes much deeper than just having our needs met. Knowing God doesn't just mean, oh, now I get our needs met. Knowing God means now I get to know the Creator of heaven and earth. We get to have a relationship. I get to talk to Him. He's going to talk to me. We get to exchange. We get to knowing god is not only speaking to him but also listening to him and he's waiting to talk he says my sheep hear my voice they will not follow a stranger and yet we have so many christians that are sitting around saying well i just can't ever hear god what you need to do is shut off the things that you've been listening to and start listening to what the bible teaches you i mentioned this a little while ago we have that cartoon that keeps coming up on facebook You have the sheep laying on the lounger with the headphones on, reading and having a drink, and goes, huh, I wonder why the shepherd hasn't, I haven't heard the shepherd for a while. (laughs) Because we get so busy with everything else, we don't take time to hear what the shepherd is trying to tell us. Now learning the spiritual principles of the disciplines are great. Learn the disciplines, study your Bibles, take time to read through the whole thing, learn how to pray but they will never replace the relationship with God himself. It is only when we are in his presence, letting his love wash over us, that our whole outlook on life changes to reflect his outlook. See, when we get to know him, we start emulating him and showing him To the world. He causes us to extend mercy, grace, and forgiveness to those who need it. And in fact, that's one of the things that I believe you can tell very quickly whether someone actually has a relationship with God or whether they're stuck in religion. Why? When you're in religion, you can't give grace, you can't give mercy. Why? Because you are so tenuously hanging on to your own standards that you cannot allow anybody to take one piece away, because you don't know what's going to happen. You're holding on to all of the outward form instead of saying, "You know, my first job is to love." Oh, but I want to judge this. I want to this. I want no, no. You're called to love. Give grace. Give mercy. Now you know what's right and wrong. You don't have to think far and you may try to speak to someone in love and try and bring them back but if you can't love them unless they're doing what you're saying you're operating under the wrong spirit. How do I know that? While we were yet in sin Father loved us. The Bible didn't say we had to go get good so he could love us. He said he loved you and you're in sin. God loved you and was willing to die for you. So if we're ever going to come to the place where God wants us to be, we're going to have to get to know the true nature of God as it is revealed to us in the new covenant. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 says, According as his divine power and things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. Well, the words life and godliness includes healing, joy, deliverance, prosperity, everything else we need, life and godliness. He says he has given us everything that is pertaining to life and to godliness. Now, we receive those things through our relationship with God, and everything we ever receive from God is received the very same way. We receive it all by faith. When we first get born again, we end up having to ask and say, Father, please forgive my sins. I repent from my ways, forgive my sins, help me to live a life holy unto you. And God forgives us. Now, you may not look different. You may not feel different. Nobody may necessarily look at you and say, oh, you must be a Christian now. See, after a while, before that. (laughs) But you know that you're saved. How do you know that you're saved? Because you know what the Word said. The Word said that they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do you know that God has prospered you? Because you have a bank account that's huge? No, because the Word says. So you start trusting God that his word is true and you receive it by faith just like you do your salvation. With healing, you receive it by faith just like you do your salvation. Father, I thank you that I am healed. But I don't feel healed. That's not the issue. I still thank you I am healed, Father. I thank you that I am prosperous while I'm struggling to pay my bills. I thank you that the joy of the Lord is my strength while I'm sitting here feeling gloomy. Why? Because this is what the Word says and as you begin to confess that back to God, the Bible tells us that all the words of God have a power within them and those words will not return to Him void. So as you start saying, Father I thank you that the joy of the Lord is my strength, you're going to start experiencing that joy rising up and now you're going to get brought to a point where you're going to have to say, I'm going to sit here quit. and I'm not going to feel sorry for myself now. I'm either going to rejoice that the strength is my... my <laughs> but you're going to have to make that choice you can sit there and say father well I'm sick I can't do anything and you'll be sitting there the rest of your life That's right. father I thank you that I'm trusting you for healing so I'm going to stand up I'm going to get up and I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to prove that I'm healed Many days that I had to get out of bed one foot at a time. I'm just over six feet. (laughs) Took a while. (laughs) The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And if he can raise Christ from the dead, he can surely get me out of my bed. (laughs) foot out Lord (laughs) and you start confessing it see we get it backwards we want to do everything backwards oh I'm believing God for my prosperity so I'm going to go out and spend everything I can get and trust God that he's going to pay those bills off that's not what he said he was going to do oh I'm believing God for my healing so I'm going to throw everything to the wind and I don't care anymore what the doctor said I'm just going to believe God for my healing no no You believe God for your healing and let the doctors take you back off the medications they put you on. Why? Because you might kill yourself if you don't. Well, isn't that a lack of faith? No. All healing comes from God. Do You know how many Christians the doctors have kept alive while they believe for their healing? No, the doctor doesn't have the final word. When the doctor said there's no hope, well, I know somebody that gives me hope. And I will continue to trust. And I will continue to believe because I would rather go to heaven in faith than go to heaven without faith. (laughs) (laughs) So we keep pushing, but we start doing it. And, you know, we get this all mixed up again. We want to put the cart before the horse. and the Bible, you know, (laughs) the woman came to Jesus as she crawled along on the ground to get to touch him. He didn't say, oh, stop seeing the doctor's. He said, you're whole. Mm -hmm. And it says, seeing, or feeling in herself Mm -hmm. that something had happened, she knew she was whole. Now, I'm sure the doctor said, well, that's too bad. But what are they going to do? See, so when I came off the insulin, I'd just one day say, oh, I'm tired of insulin, so I'm going to stop insulin. No, 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 I did what I could do, and then I went to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, keep doing what you're doing. We don't have to go stab in the dark and hope for something. You know, and we get so we think of oh, the natural world, won't, they won't back up what God is doing. Of course they're going to back up what God is doing, whether they know it or not. But we're going to have to know God so we can start walking in that and start trusting that and start believing that. And then as we know him, everything pertaining to life and godliness is mine. So, Father, I thank you that I am at peace with all men, that I'm growing in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I thank you, Father, that you are sending your angels out to see to it that all ways are open and paths are done. Well, it doesn't matter how many paths are open if you're refusing to get out on a path. See I grew up in a part of the church years ago and the big thing was the thought of God's wanting prosperity for his people came in and people would rush out and they would max out every credit card to try and look prosperous. You know they could be wearing a $5,000 gold ring but they couldn't necessarily pay their rent. Foolishness. Total foolishness. Kenneth Hagin taught a whole book between our faith Oh, anyway, it was presumption that this thing, whole thing was about. It's a folly. But what happened is we don't want to wait for God to show up. We want to do it on our own and try to make, force God to do something. And God doesn't get forced to do stuff by you, He gets moved by His word. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. See, we are st- if we are still living with the Old Testament image of God, then we will expect bad things from him. You know, he's a God that's just, and we always see the justness of God, and we forget that God also offered mercy. We're waiting for God to strike us dead, and you know, I hear this even among well-meaning Christians, say, oh, well, with what they're doing now, they're going to end up, hopefully they're going to end up repenting. Now, it may be a rough road. I hope it doesn't have to be. Some people need a rougher road than others before they come to it. But sooner or later, if there's a church praying for him, if you've got grandma praying for you, sooner or later, guess what? That road is just not so much fun anymore. Your shoes wore out and the rocks of the road are pretty rough. Now, some people, you know, they're not quitters. They're going to try and push this thing to the end. But God is so much bigger. You start trusting God. You start believing God. You start saying, you know, there is members of my family, Father. They need to know you, whatever it takes to bring them to you. You created them. You know them. You know whether it's going to take mercy. You know whether it's going to take whatever. If they're going to have to have, then that's what we want, Father, because we want that that ministry is going to be released into the body of Christ, that they are going to be secure in your kingdom well, you guys are praying curses on me. We're not praying no curses. We're praying blessing. There just is no bigger blessing than walking with God. But we start thinking of God, saying, oh, God is trying to do all these horrible things, and God is this, and God is that, and God God is trying to make a way where there was no way. God is trying to say, come up here, and I will show you great and mighty things which you don't even know. God is saying, listen to the voice of my Holy Spirit. He will show you what is to come. God is saying, I'm on your side. I'm not against you, except we have the attitude that God must be against us. See, when I grew up, the whole concept seemed to be that the devil was very strong and very big. So you had to be very careful about the devil. But God was even bigger. had (laughs) Had to be more careful with him. Don't do anything wrong because he'll get you. Well, according to the Bible, we receive what we expect. Are you expecting God's judgment or are you expecting God's grace? Are you expecting God's love that will lead you to repentance? I know the time where we found a scripture and it said, they face the rod and the stripe. They shall not be utterly cast down. And the person I was praying for at that point, I said, well, Father, if they take the rod and the stripe, then give them the rod and the stripe, but spare their life. Why? Because they will not be utterly cast down. And I took that to mean they were not going to die in their sins. So you do whatever it takes, Father, to bring them to a place of repentance. Whatever it takes, but spare their life. Because I'm claiming them to be active in your kingdom. Took two years. All of a sudden they repented. They wanted to come back. Make things right. Did I hate? I didn't hate. I hated what they were doing, but I still loved them. I wanted to see them repent. Many times when I've prayed for people that have come against, you, He says, "You know, Father, we pray for those people. I lift them up. I ask that the ministry that you have placed within them, that ministry is being destroyed because Satan has got them blinded. Open their eyes. Let them see, Father. I pray because the body of Christ needs that gift that you have put within them. I pray for them, Father, that they might come to repentance. That your Holy Spirit will soften and break what needs to be softened and broken. That that word will spring up, Father. Whatever it takes, we need the back in the body. See, for too many years, Christians have been the only army that shot its wounded. We're not shooting them. We want to see them released into ministry in the body because the more people that are involved, the easier it gets. But I don't want them taking their resources and throwing them into Satan's kingdom when God has called them for his kingdom. Matthew nine twenty nine. he says, Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. When we truly know God, we have a relationship with him It is difficult not to believe him. See, when Jesus is walking on this earth, he came to show us what the Father was really like. And now remember that Jesus is also a member of the Godhead, so he cannot give us a false image of God. In fact, in John 14, 9, it says, He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou, then show us the Father? So Jesus gives us a perfect picture of who the Father is, and to know Jesus is to know God. So when you're reading through the New Testament, how did you see Jesus react to different situations? A young man comes up to Jesus and says, good master, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus lays out the law, and he says, well, all of these things have I done since my youth. And Jesus says, well, one thing you're lacking Go sell what you have and give it to the poor. And it says the young man walked away exceedingly sorrowful because he was very rich. But then it says as Jesus watched him walk, he sorrowed because he loved him. See, every person you meet is loved of the Father, regardless of how ugly they are. They are loved of the Father. And because of that, he gives us the charge to love them yeah but these people are so now don't get me wrong that love does not mean fawning all over them and saying oh that's okay that's okay that's okay sometimes the best thing you can do in love is say you're screwing up yes. now if you want help we'll help you but you're going to have to make an effort not going to be dragging you around. You're going to have to make the effort. We'll forgive you. We'll teach you what's right. We'll help you take the steps. But you know, every single one of us has to learn to walk the walk. Hebrews 1, 2, and 3 says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of the image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When we see... Jesus according to the scriptures we see what God is really like and Jesus gives us a clearer understanding of the father's nature again what did Jesus do upon this earth who did he condemn he wept over Jerusalem he cried over the city of Jerusalem because of the people and the inhabitants thereof he cried over the nation of Israel he, and he said Israel turn back father is waiting he wants to cover you He wasn't sitting and saying, well, Father, rain down fire and brimstone upon them. In fact, when two of his disciples, James and John, says, well, can we call down fire on heaven? I sound a little bit of please in there. (laughs) Can we call down fire and brimstone upon them? And Jesus says, you don't even know which spirit you're from. See, if you're looking for somebody's destruction, go join Jonah. Oh, maybe you're already there. Lord, I don't want to talk to them. I'm going to go somewhere else. Okay, throw me overboard. The fish takes him down and lands him on the coasts of Nineveh. He goes and preaches. Now, how could you not be moved by Jonah's message? The acids in a whale's stomach are pretty powerful. So here's this guy bleached out. Seaweed hanging off his ear. Coming out of the water and saying, repent! (laughs) Smelling like fish. So they repented. Now you would think Juno was happy. What a successful ministry. There may have been hundred thousand people in Nineveh at that time. You know, hundred thousand people repenting and turning to the Lord. What a great successful ministry! No, no, he was mad, and he got before God. And he says, "I, I knew you were going to forgive them. <laughs> That's why I didn't want to go. I wanted to see them burn, <laughs> burn, baby, burn." See, we have that same attitude often as Christians. We don't want to see them repent. Those are such nasty people. They've done so many horrible things. They are this. They are that. They are a child that God sent his son to die for. Is there any such thing as beyond hope? Once they have taken their last breath, then they're beyond hope. But now love doesn't leave them where you find them. There's another story in the Bible, and some of you may be familiar with it. The guy's riding his donkey down the road, and he comes across this man that's been laying in the ditch. there on the side, beat up, because everybody beat up on him and stole all his stuff. So while he's been laying there, the priest has already walked by and turned up his nose, and this Levite has ignored him, and now here's this guy. And he sees him there so he gets off his donkey and he pours some oil and some wine into his wounds and loads him up and takes him to an inn and he says you know put it on my account. Whatever for three days. If it takes more just put it on my account and I'll come by and I'll pay it the next time I'm through here. Now the images of Jesus. The image is that Jesus was the guy that was beat up and the Samaritan was the one that helped him, but the image is also that the Samaritan is the one that was able to reach out and help those that have been beat up already. See, the righteous ones, the holy ones, they walked by and turned up their nose and probably thought, oh, he deserved it. I don't want to be involved. That's too dirty. I have my nice, clean Sunday go-to-meeting robe on Who knows what they thought? He's a Samaritan. He's been hanging around with the wrong people. That's the problem with him. But one man, when he saw him laying there, says, I cannot leave this man here. This is somebody that needs help. He didn't care how he got there. He just cared that he was there. And said, let's bring him to a place of safety. And he loaded him up on his own donkey. And if he's loading him up on his own donkey, that means he's now walking. So he's making a hardship for himself so he can bring this man to a place where he's going to be able to get taken care of. Here, the Samaritan coming along and saying, Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm fine. No, I don't know if he talked or not. The Bible doesn't say. I'm just making this up in my own mind as I watch this scenario. See, I picture this guy coming along on his donkey and the guy that's laying in the ditch going, help me. I need some help. But too many times as Christians, we're too proud. We don't need help. We'll stand here and suffer by ourselves and then be mad because nobody came to help. If you need help, say, hey, can you give me a hand? I still have the option to say no if I don't want to. But we need to be willing to ask. We need to be able to say, what did Jesus do? See, it's often been taught... That if we maintain a certain standard of conduct or dress or public actions, then people will see the fruit of our Christian walk. and You know, people will say, well, they have, you know, and I've heard this, that people had to wear their kerchief so that they, people would know that they were Christians. Or one sect of Christians. Huh? If I can't tell that you're a Christian without a kerchief on, we got problems. Not we, you. (laughs) Yeah, but we have to this because we are supposed to be different than everybody else. Oh, you're different. The Bible says you are a peculiar people. And so people, you know, other people use that as their excuse. So I'm peculiar. That's why I get away with everything. No, it's a zealous of good works. Jesus, you're peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's what makes you peculiar. You want to do good. You want to help. In reality, the spiritual fruit of a Christian life comes out of knowing God, not just following principles of faith. Our faith needs to flow out of our relationship with him and it is as we experience God's love firsthand that our faith in his love for us is strengthened. When we start recognizing, man, I blew it and God says, hey, but I forgive you. Come, let's go talk. Father, I lost my temper. Forgive me, Father. And Father says, hey, come, let's talk. I forgive you. You know, you can yell at God and he forgives you faster than most people will. <clears throat> Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith with works by love. So God wants us to get to know him without depending on what we have to do. See, so many times, well, if I go to church on Sunday, if I go to a midweek Bible study, if I give so and so much, if I cut my hair, if I grow my hair, if I dress right, if I this, if I that, if I on and on. We grew up in a place where the bishop of the church ended up painting his bumper on his brand new Lincoln black because chrome was too much shine. And I go, man, I would hate to live in a place like that. Not in our church, but there's a church in the area. You drive the biggest, fanciest cars, but paint all the chrome and stuff so it looked plain. No, you know, it didn't make anybody think he was really holy. Second Peter 1 and 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. I want to give you lots of scripture here because I want you to know that this is not just one scripture twisted. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As we grow in our relationship with Him, we should not only experience greater peace but also greater grace. If our relationship with God is out of line, we get bitter and angry when things don't go the way we should. We get short-tempered. We get this and that. Why? Because it's not going the way I want it. Grace and peace. Get back to I believe it's only when people come into true knowing of God that they start to experience the supernatural transformation working under the power of the souls of the spirit can make people or get people to hide certain attitudes in periods of time or certain attitudes and behaviors for a period of time you know people are trying to do this all by the soul i'm going to serve god now so i'm not going to get mad at anybody and i'm not going to yell and i'm not going to this and i'm not going to do that and i'm not going to whatever and then all of a sudden the mind comes to the point the soul comes to the point where it's no longer able to maintain that sense of decorum but the spirit has never been developed to run or to remove those things, and now all of a sudden they're old, and their true nature comes out. Over the years, I have talked to many different people that have worked in different care facilities, and they'll tell you you wouldn't believe what some of these old people do when they are old. All of a sudden, men become sexually aggressive at 78 years old or whatever, and they go, what's going on here? This person was always so nice. Yes, they were always working under the control. All of a sudden languages can change and people start talking different. Why? Because the Spirit has not done its work in their heart. They've only been trying to conform in their minds. All of a sudden they're angry and yelling and spitting at people and spitting at people's faces and they're going, what's going on here? These were always such nice Christian people but now they have lost because the Spirit has not transformed that inner part. They have managed to make the outside but the inside hasn't been changed yet. This is why it becomes so important to allow your heart to be touched by the Spirit of God because then you can always be old and sweet regardless of how old you are. (laughs) You start moving and you start saying, hey, this is what is happening. See, when it's just pushed into the background, when when the facilities begin to deteriorate and the filters start disappearing, suddenly what was in the heart comes to the forefront again. And if it's never come out of the heart, you know, so think of yourself right now if there are things in your life that you know you should deal with and you don't want to deal with, how do you think that's going to look when you're 50 years older than you are now? What happens if you haven't allowed the Spirit of God to deal with it now? And I'll tell you the younger you are when you start letting God deal with it the better off you are because the older you get the harder it gets to let that thing go because it's become. Hmm. Daniel 11:32 But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Once we realize that God is for us and not against us we start to develop the right impression of who God is. Good God, bad devil. That's my theology. Good God, bad devil. I have scripture for it. John ten ten. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that more abundantly. Instead of feeling that God is taking things from us, we begin to understand that he's trying to bring us into the absolute best for us and it might not be what we thought it was going to be. And again, I've used this illustration, but I love the illustration of this one song I was listening to one day. Turned on the radio, I wanted to get the news, and they were playing a song. Thank God for unanswered prayers. A guy in high school was so in love with this woman. This was the girl that this was supposed to be his life. This was his everything. This was he had been praying and saying, God, let me marry this one, and he didn't. Then they went back to reunion, however many years later, and he met her again. And he says, "Thank God for unanswered prayers." <laughs> See, God is trying to do what's best for you, in spite of what you may think. But if you're not going will to willing <coughs> to, if you're not willing to bend your mind to the Spirit. And you're going to think if God's not doing what you want him to do, he's not listening to you. He's listening to you, but he knows you better than you know you. <clears throat> see, too often we are ready to settle for something that is less than trying to get us to lift up our eyes and to see what he has prepared for us. See, we've come to a point where we think anything good that happens is all we need. I don't need this. I don't need that. All I need would be this. If I could only have this. And God is saying, lift up your eyes and see what I have prepared for you. Oh, but God, I don't need all that. I'll be happy with this. And all of a sudden we settle for second best. Then we can't figure out why we feel stuck in a short while. When we know him, we are strong and do exploits. When we don't know him, then we become weak, timid, and fearful. Oh, what if nobody likes me? Then you're probably in the wrong place. Know includes things like ascertain by seeing and friend. The people that know their God, when we see God, when he's become a friend to us, then we are strong, we start doing exploits. Why? Because if we know that the greater one is in us, what shall I fear? Romans eight thirty one and thirty two. What shall we say then to these things? If God, before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not, with him, also freely give us all things? Huh? See, God's love for us is very similar to the love that a normally earth normal earthly father has for his children only on a supernatural scale. <laughs> and earthly father's children trust him. They have complete confidence in him. As God's children, we can have the same trust through that relationship with him. Now many times the trust is not there because we don't have the relationship. We don't trust that God is going to do it, that we're going to have to do it ourselves because I cannot believe that God would have, I'm going to have to. Now if you had a normal earthly father that knew that he could do something that would really help your life, do you think he would? Now you have a normal heavenly father that's capable of so much more than any earthly father would. He is a supernatural deal. And he's saying, I want to lift you out. I want to bring you to a place of freedom. Just listen to me. I am not trying to destroy you. I'm not trying to take stuff from you. I'm trying to get you to live in a higher place. And you're fighting me on it. See, an earthly father's children trust him and have total confidence in him. As God's children, we can have that same trust through our relationship with him. Now many times the trust is there because we don't have that relationship so we go back to our default settings. I'll do the best I can. See, we don't trust God. We don't trust those in authority. How do you deal with authority? I can tell very quickly As somebody going to to trust God but how they talk about anybody in authority? Can't trust the police. They're always wrong. Can't trust my father. Can't trust my boss. Can't this. Can't that. Can't. I know how you're going to relate to God. How do I know that? Because God has authority. God gets to say what's right and wrong, not you. See, no amount of study, giving, meditating, or anything else will ever replace having that personal relationship with God. To experience his transforming power, we have to experience his love. So in closing, I'd just like to highlight a few truths that we need to know about a relationship with God. We must substitute the knowledge that we have about God for an intimate relationship with him. If all you do is know about God, you have to get to know Him. Our Christianity should be evidenced by our faith and our love, not by how many rules we keep. Remember when you were first born again, everything seemed to work out fine. We need to re-examine that. Why? Why did everything work out for us when we first got born again? Because we were not bogged down by principles, All we had was Jesus. We knew we were saved by grace and not our works. We knew we weren't in charge. Jesus was. It was called first love. (laughs) There was a time when God was the first thing on our minds and we stayed in his presence. We have to return to that time. I know when I first got born again to get up in the morning without thinking, thank you, Father, I have a new day, seems strange. Now over the years, I can't say that that's always my first thought. Now often my first thought is, oh, the dog wants out. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually why you woke up. <laughs> but all of a sudden we've come to a point where we've drawn away, we got everything else figured out, and then we try and make time for God. And finally by the end of the day, we're going, Oh God, I'm just too tired. What's happened? Again, first love. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Number four, we need a conscious awareness of God so that we can be overwhelmed by his love. See, we can live in a realm where we are so intimate with God that everything is automatically handed over to him and works out for our good. All of a sudden, the scripture that says, casting all your cares upon him becomes What do I have to worry about? And finally, we need the knowledge of God's word because his word reveals God's true nature. However, when we make the word technical details and formulas about the mechanics of Christianity, we've lost our focus. The word is there to help us understand God. But it's not a bunch of formulas. It's not a bunch of this and that. It's, not. it's to say, hey, Jesus, this is who you are. As we come to the end of this year, we're contending for stuff. And, you know, we can put in all the faith formulas. We can do all of this and all of that. What we need to learn to do is come into a close relationship with God. Maybe all your troubles won't go away overnight. But I'll tell you one thing, your heart will be in a better place. Maybe you won't uh, wake up tomorrow morning singing and shouting hallelujah, I'm free or whatever. But I'll tell you, when you put the relationship with God, you're going to have a lot less stuff that feels that important that you have to worry about that. Maybe there will be some trials, but you know you're not going to be alone in those trials. because the greater one is in you. So, Father, I want to thank you this morning for your word. I want to thank you that your word is true. It does not fail. It does not change. I want to thank you, Father, that your word is only there to lead us to you, to reveal you to us. So I ask that you would help us, Father, to get rid of those things that would try to hinder us from getting a proper understanding of Jesus, a proper understanding of you. Help us to walk in a place, Father, where we see you in everything. And to trust you that your word has not changed. That you are with us forever, that you will not forsake us. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.